Blog Talk Radio. This is Connie Mettler of ArtFairInsiders.com, a social networking site for artists, and I'm publisher of ArtFairCalendar.com, the place to find the nation's best art fairs. Later in the show, we will be taking your calls. Here's a number in case you want to call in and ask a question of me or my guests. It's 805-243-1338, Today's topic is Art Fair Alternatives, and this is Part 2 of Alternatives, and we are going to be talking about art studio tours. Most people who are earning a living in the art fair business have multiple streams of income. Today we're going to talk about another opportunity, artist studio tours, with two artists who have been in the art fair business a long time, but who have also worked to develop opportunities for other artists. This is a community business. The more we can do help each other, the more it's good for us. So my guests today are Jan Richardson, who started art shows in 1977 at the original Frederick, Frederick Craft Fair in Maryland. Between 97, 1977 and 2006, she participated with her clay business, Windy Meadows Pottery, selling hand-built clay houses at hundreds of shows all across the country. She also helped start the Valley Craft Network Studio Tour in the early 1980s in Maryland and hosted many open studios and pottery events. Since moving to a remote Oceanside Peninsula in Washington State in 2006, she has been instrumental in organizing artists in that area for shows, workshops, and studio tours. And I want to welcome, hello Jan, how are you today? Hi Connie, great, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Looks like I decided to play my theme song again. It seems to want to... There we go. That should do it. Okay. I'm glad you're here. And my other guest today is Robert Briscoe, who is a potter living in rural Minnesota, who's been working in clay for 45 years and exhibiting at art fairs as a primary income source for 38 years. He also shows in galleries as a secondary focus. His first art fair was in 1971, and he thinks he's been in over 400 events during that time. His work has also been focused on quiet, simple, functional pottery. He is well-known in art fair circles for the St. Croix Valley Pottery Studio Tour, a large undertaking with a national following. Welcome, Bob. Glad to have you today. Thank you very much for having me, Connie. It's really good to be here, and uh, hi to Jan as well. I think between the three of us, we've done been at at least a thousand art fairs. Wouldn't you guess? <laughs> oh, at least. <laughs> yes, at we're, least. we're some of, some of the elders in the business. Okay, so since we've known each other a long time, we have lots of informa- a lot of shared information, but we need to share it with these people who don't know us. So you've both been in the business a really long time. Jan, do you have other income other than from your pottery business? Um, I have social security. Um, I also have some minor investment money, um, and I'm selling a few pots now and then here, some on the Internet. Uh, but other than pottery, I have a little a little tiny bit coming in. It's mm-hmm. But your focus, your focus, main focus is uh, selling pottery in one way or another, workshops, tours, et cetera, right? Absolutely. I participate in the Oregon Potters Association show um, every, almost every year in Portland, Oregon. I haven't really ventured out too much anymore. I'm getting kind of crotchety and really hate having to put up a tent by myself. Okay, so that makes a big difference. Shows. <laughs> it does make right. a big difference. 
So, so Bob, other than art fairs, um, your other income is what else? How else do you make money with your pottery? Well, um, I do teach uh, a workshop occasionally, and I sell uh, work through galleries, both online and bricks and mortar. Um, occasionally, you know, a, an invitational exhibition, but. Uh, other than that, it's uh, art fairs, and then now uh, I have a, a sale in the fall at my studio with three other potters, and I also then put on the St. Croix Valley Pottery Tour with with six other uh, potters, and those two sales here at my studio probably now represent 60 or 70% of my income. So you're not doing as many art fairs as you used to do? I'm probably down to four to six, both indoor and outdoor, and I'm, I'm probably going to take it down to two or three in the next two or three years. So you, these um, studio tours that you've been involved in organizing are contributing subs, um, quite well to your income, substantially yes, was the word I, I was going I for. I can't imagine... Uh, <laughs> what I would have done had we not uh, built these two events uh, 25 years ago. Okay. So, and, sure. and Jan, so you're, you, Jan, you're also, you're work, selling work when you do the studio tours, right? Yes. And that, we just do one a year. We do ours Thanksgiving weekend here on the peninsula because we have a lot of uh, weekend people who come out to their summer homes. Okay. Um, so I Jan, I you mm-hmm. uh, also some sell. local galleries. Okay. Jan, mm-hmm. you started um a tour a long time ago. Tell us a little bit about the beginnings of your first one that you put together. Okay, our first one, the Valley Craft Network tour, was at my studio in Maryland. We were an hour from DC and an hour from Baltimore. Um we had about six People. They were various different media. We were in a very, actually we crossed two county lines, and um, it was very hilly and crazy old roads, but we made it work, and it was wonderful. Uh, we relied heavily, of course it was pre-internet, so we did a lot of mailings. Everybody pulled their mailing list, and we we started building it with that. We also were doing a lot of art fairs in the area so we could talk it up. And mm-hmm. that's very important. That word oh. of mouth is terribly important. So most of the people in your network were also doing art fairs in the area, craft shows. Yeah, I was probably doing more. Bill Van Gelder was doing some. Uh, there were people doing other, other kinds of work. Okay. Who were doing right. a few shows. So, and uh, you started that in what year? Uh, probably 82. And 82 it's still going on. It's still going on. It's just great. I'm so happy for those guys. And, you know, there's been a, every year was a different mix of people, which kept it kind of interesting because it, it mm-hmm. didn't get stale. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Oh, right. You've got to always right. keep it exciting. Right. All those changes. Okay, so then in 2006 you left Maryland and you moved to someplace in Washington. (laughs) Tell me about that. (laughs) I moved to the Long Beach Peninsula in very southwestern Washington. It's right at the mouth of the Columbia River. A lot of my major shopping happens for food and uh, Costco, whatever, in Astoria, Oregon, and I go to to the local community college in Astoria, Oregon, because they have an onagama kiln. So I'm, my work has changed a lot in the last but, six years. Mm-hmm. So the, um, um, but when you moved to um, this to Washington, it it's a relatively small community. Tell me a little bit about the community. It's a very small community. It's a lot of summer people, a lot of out of work fishermen and loggers. And a lot of retired <laughs> sound very lucrative. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a well moneyed community at all. 
It is mm-hmm. three hours from Portland and about three hours from Seattle. Uh, the people here really weren't very uh, aware of what handmade good artwork was, to put it mildly. Um, so we have we've been doing a lot of teaching to people of, and creating awareness of what good good uh, pottery is. And luckily we have a local community of about six potters, all of whom work in wildly different styles. And that was how I started um, our, you know, with other people, we started our Peninsula Clay Artist Group, which we'll talk about later. Okay. When Uh, you moved to Washington, you had been fully immersed in the art fairs and craft shows in the more eastern part of the country. And as I recall, you thought it was quite a different climate in Washington, Oregon. People, I think on the West Coast, people spend a lot more of their lives outside. They're more down to basics. They don't really collect things the way they did on the East Coast. Of course, my time moving out here was buffered with all the big changes in technology, and we used to see it at the shows as people were initially spending money on on art they were now spending it you know in the uh early 2000s they started having heavy cell phone bills and and other technology bills that nobody ever had before and it seemed to me that okay. a lot of the money that was being spent on that technology used to be spent on our work. So that artwork. Okay. So that was kind of so interesting. You, but out here, they just don't. They don't understand. We've done a lot of teaching to people about what clay is, especially. Okay. So, but you were. I think you were pretty discouraged when you expected you were moving your this business to the West Coast and you were going to continue life as usual, and it was yeah, not usual. Somewhat usual, and I thought um, I would actually get a lot more business uh, on the website from my East Coast collectors, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot to being there physically and knowing people and being able to give hugs. Okay, and, uh, so just you know, be part of their lives more immediately. Okay, so then okay, so then you moved there and you found these differences. And you had to you started doing some networking so you could continue to earn a living, right? With right. with your skills, and so what were so you uh, were, were instrumental in starting some events? What what have, what exactly have you well, done there? We, we did start uh, the local art association started a studio tour, but then we started the uh, with this Peninsula Clay Artist Group. Every summer we have a two-week show, and this year we had 15 different workshops and demonstrations. And we're really getting the community involved in learning what, how much work there is to clay. And we're also doing a lot of mosaic work and Involving the community in that, and so now. Okay, so new if you tell me these are retired fishermen living here, how is anybody selling anything? Uh, well, we we also have a lot of retired people from uh, Microsoft and from various uh-huh. things in Portland, Oregon, and they come here for the summer because it's really nice here in the summer. Okay, so, so this is something. People. This is a rural, remote community. I think you told me there was only couldn't even get there except by uh, it was a long drive around until they recently built a bridge. So you're isolated. That's correct. That's but correct. And so the traffic you, patterns you, were mm-hmm. don't go back very far in history. Okay, so but you have these retirees and second home people that make an audience for this fine work. That they do. And we also give a lot of workshops all through the year. We get various artists to come in and teach us, say, a weekend workshop or a one-day workshop. And that, that's that been pretty good. Who are they teaching the workshops to? 
um, people will come in from the city to take the uh-huh. workshop because they're interesting uh, subjects. And then we're getting, uh, since I moved here, I've noticed a greater influx of retired people who are very bright and educa- you know, and well-educated and want to learn because they they worked hard for a lot of years and now they want to learn to do the things that they always lusted after. And I think that's probably true in a lot of areas. Our well, Bob, doesn't group, that sound familiar? That sounds like we used to say at the art fairs, right, that the people were retiring and wanting to be artists? Absolutely. But, yes. um, you know, at least in clay, uh, the one advantage clay has is that people, they do go and take a class, you know, because they're retired or whatever, uh, or they're they're thinking about retiring, and then they, they find out they love it, and they also find out how difficult it is, and they get a new appreciation for it, and they become great customers as well as mm-hmm. uh, passionate amateurs. Absolutely, and that's really oh. important. Okay, so that leads to them being customers. Gotcha. A little, I'm a little slow here. Okay. That's, because so that's funny. The, they, mm-hmm. Yeah, they understand what it takes. If I have someone in and they come and make one of my smaller houses, the you know, the mm-hmm. middle-sized ones, and they work all day and then they have to come back the next day to finish it, they say, oh, <laughs> oh, you just don't knock those out, do you? Okay, okay, and so that's the other that. thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it en- enables, okay, so you, so he, some of the things that you have, have put together are, are workshops where people are selling, uh, selling their skills as work, at the workshops. You've also developed, um, in, by doing that, a collector base for your work because they appreciate it more? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're working, and then, developing an art center and a um, and a clay show, right? Right. Okay. So, and, oh, then 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 there's also the studio tours. So, okay. So that is a, a bunch of things that I don't know. I remember years ago. Any of you remember this book? And Ladies of the Club by Helen Hoover Santemeyer. It was a story about these women in Texas years and years ago, who started a book club. And through the book club, they transformed their whole town because it it drew people in, it brought new economic advantages, it built a library, it did went on to all kinds of things. So by doing these kind of things in a rural, remote area, you're contributing to the culture of your town. Absolutely. You'll be one of these people. You'll be St. Jan one of these days, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, and it, <laughs> It helps build the sense of community, too. Right. So you're contributing in that way. Yeah, participating in things they wouldn't have, and they they meet a new group of people and have a new group of, you know, uh, skills that they can share. Okay. Wow. Okay, so... um, So now, Bob, uh, let's hear something from you. You live... um, what, it's about an hour from Minneapolis? Yeah, it's an hour from downtown Minneapolis. Okay. And have you lived there a long time? Uh, this is our 26th year. 26th year. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've lived in Minnesota for 36. Okay. And Kansas City. All right. And um, so you and some friends, tell me, please, about the beginning uh, beginnings of your uh, Saint Croix Valerie Pottery Studio show. Did I get it all? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a I well, uh, there are you know quite a few potters in Minnesota. There are quite a few fairly well-known potters in Minnesota, and there's there's kind of a clay culture here a little bit, as well as other art forms, but. So a friend of mine, Will Swanson, uh, Potter, we used to have breakfast together once a month or so, and, and we were talking about how we should have some kind of a group show, group event, and the idea of the tour blossomed out of that. And so we picked a theme, which was Minnesota Highway 95, and we tried to uncover all the 
clay people that lived along or near that highway, and we invited them to a meeting. And um, we just kind of laid down the idea, and um, everybody agreed to do it. There were eight at that time, and a couple people chose not to come to the meeting. So we would have originally had ten people there, but I'm not sure they would have all participated. And we, you know, agreed to the, you know, kind of the structure that we were going to operate under, and we went forward. And then we would meet. <laughs> we only meet once a year uh, wow. to form this thing. We try to keep it really simple, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think that's one one of the keys to its. Uh, success is that we are, we don't meet once a month to where we can actually uh, find out we don't like each other very much. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> I think uh, so. We have we have this one serious meeting, which usually happens the week after the event, and we distribute the jobs for next year, and everybody does them. And and one, one humorous part of it is we decided that one role we needed to have was someone called the bulldog. And uh-huh. their only job every year is to remind everybody else that their deadlines are coming up or they're passed. So it, it kind of keeps everybody on the straight and narrow. But the jobs are really pretty defined after 22 years. And, yeah. uh, but we don't, we don't meet a lot. We did form a marketing committee a couple of years ago, which is three of us get together in a tavern, which is 90% of the reason is to <laughs> excuse to drink, drink some good beer. So, <laughs> But we do, we do discuss uh, how we're going to market the tour next year. So, and Wow. It, so, well, mm-hmm. You do a great job with your posters and your mailings. That's not easy to pull yeah, it off we, that way. Yeah, we, we had kind of a boring... Uh, little flyer that we sent out the first few years and on our 10th anniversary we decided that you know let's do a poster and do it in color and it was amazing uh we sent out this poster um first time we had done anything in color and the the event doubled overnight yeah you mean the attendance doubled attendance sales everything just it just kind of shocked everybody it was like wow uh, mar- marketing does uh, become relevant, <laughs> right? I mean, because mostly, <laughs> well, you're, you're focused on building the pots and selling them, and and then there's this other part. Then you know what the art fairs do? Oh, they bring the people in. Oh, right, right. That's there's that the, the marketing part. So, okay. So now, the, one of the reasons that I, that I contacted you for this is because. I believe your your tour is, is pretty well known. Can you give me tell me some more about that? Well, we this year we we counted uh, almost four thousand attendants, which is in I think in our terms really huge. Mm-hmm. And um, and people are coming from all over the country. We've even had people coming in from other countries now uh, mm-hmm. as it gets. A little more notoriety, but <clears throat> we did a zip code study uh, for the last two years. When someone buys something, we mm-hmm. ask them for their zip code to try to figure out is our you know marketing nationally working. And 18% of those 4,000 people came from more than 300 miles. That's what our study showed us, which is kind of shocking, actually. That is shocking. Have the so sales? Have have the sales totals continued to rise even through these recent years? Yeah, actually, in 2009, you know, the kind of the spring after the big collapse, everybody Mm -hmm. was kind of wondering if we shouldn't cut back somehow and that it was all going to fold. And I, I was really insistent that we actually promote harder. In that time, I thought, you know, this is a time in the country when we actually are maybe needed more than any other time, that people need some sort of relief from all the bad news, and it was a record year. Mm-hmm. And it's been a record year essentially ever since 2009. I mean, it, um, it, 
it's hard to explain, but but I think it's fairly easy to explain at the same time. It's you know we're we we sent out thirty thousand posters last year. That's how large our mailing list has become, and how, we're getting four thousand. Where are you sending thirty thousand posters? Well, seventeen thousand of them went to people in Minnesota and Western Wisconsin, and thirteen thousand went to everywhere else in the United States, and and some in Southern Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why we did the zip code study because a couple of our members were questioning whether the $7,000 that we spend mailing those posters beyond Minnesota was worthwhile. And so uh, my wife came up with the idea of just writing down everybody's zip code when they buy something, and it would we would be able to track where they came from. Mm-hmm. So we didn't we don't have that argument anymore. So you said you spent $7,000 to mail these posters, to print them and and mail them, right? $7,000, and it's well worth it. It's huge because (laughs) those those, uh, 18% that came more than 300 miles actually represent Uh in excess of 25% of the the total Mm -hmm. sales. Mm -hmm. So it was just really a huge amount. I mean, it was like a... 10 to 1 return on our money invested. I really, I'm a firm believer that there is such a thing as art fair tourism and art tourism. And this is, don't you agree, Jan and Bob? I agree, absolutely. This is why I'm pushing for this mosaic project where I live, because we are remote. Uh, what we're trying to do is get mosaics all up and down this peninsula, and the Visitors Bureau is going to put up, make a little folder, and um, and it's really catching steam. We had one one of our collectors put a 85 square foot mosaic on her garage wall, as a result of our clay show, and the business for that went to one of our artists in our group. And this is a sale that came out of your clay show. Essentially, yeah. It would mm-hmm. never have happened otherwise. Uh-huh. Right. So so this this well, I I certainly get it. I mean, it is is exciting and interesting to go and meet creative people. I mean, I don't do art fairs anymore, but I still go to art fairs. I spent last weekend in Grand Rapids at the Art Prize at the Art Centers and at the Art Museum because it's exciting and it's interesting and it's People will travel and will spend money, and that's that's really that's really impressive, Bob. That those people traveled so far, and the ones who come the farthest are the ones who are going to be spending. Right? They're not going to go yeah. away empty-handed. <clears throat> but yeah, they also go home and, and, and talk about to their friends, and their friends come next year. And mm-hmm. it absolutely it, um, yeah. The other thing that, that I I think that has been uncovered for me, you know, kind of a revelation here at our tour, is how far people are willing to come for good quality, uh, both experience and, and objects. And years ago, uh, when when um, we would notice, like, you know, you're at the Coconut Grove Art Fair, and somebody from Denver is buying something from you, and we would ask them, are you here on business? And they'd say, no, we heard this was a good art fair, and we came. And so we would we started writing down their name and address in a both in the Colorado area, but we'd also put it under another field called Travelers. And so mm-hmm. when we would when we would do an event somewhere that we thought they would the Travelers would we would send out a mailing to them, and people would come. And so it. It, so we adopted that here for our tour, and I and I think excellent, good idea. I think artists are. I mean, we're out there traveling the country, uh, and I can't say this enough that that the, I think the success of our tour, it, one of the successes, is that a few of us on the tour have done art fairs and have kept a mailing list, and and that fueled, I think, the early years. Um, here regionally, you know, the mailing list that we had developed from art fairs. Art fairs are really an important part of this success. 
Yeah. I agree. Uh, a mailing list is critical. When we started Valleycraft Network in Maryland, uh, Windy Meadows had a really big mailing list, especially in that area. And we would draw people from the Carolinas. We would draw them from even from California. Um, but we, I, you know, sent to my whole list. I think at one point I had seventeen thousand all zip code sorted, and uh, we really use that. And it's critically mailers. I can't can't emphasize enough the importance of the mailer. And we all kind of. It's gotten so expensive that we don't do it as much. But if you work with a mailing house, they know of ways to cut your costs on the postage. And yeah. believe me, if you do a bulk rate mailing, you don't want to do it yourself. You want to get one of those houses to do it. It makes yeah, a we use, difference. Uh, we use a mail a mailing, uh, both printing for printing and the mailing, and mm-hmm. and they uh, do it all all at once. Yeah, yeah. and. It's it's wonderful, and the other thing uh, we have we have fifty potters or fifty clay artists on our tour, and we get a mailing list now from all of them. We didn't do that until about five years ago. We were just right. using the mailing list from the seven of us, and um, which was uh, more regional. Few, yeah, it was. Well, I'm, and except for those of us that were doing art fairs, we were right. you know, sending out. So to okay, master. so Bob, um, tell tell my tell the listeners. So you have. You started this with um, your group of people who lived off of this highway, but now yeah. it has expanded beyond that. Tell me about that. Well, no, it, it hasn't. We, I think one of the keys is for these tours is not to make them too big, uh, not to have too many stops. I think local. No, know, but didn't you? Don't you bring in people from other areas? We do, but there's still only seven locations, and then right, well, right. We but, but the potters, the, the the people who are right. participating, tell tell me about that. Yeah, they uh, there are seven host potters mm-hmm. at their studios, and then we invite uh, additional potters. So we have 43 in, um, guest potters. Uh, there's only seven of us here locally, and then we invite 43 others, and. Uh, about half of the invitees are from within 100 miles or so of, of here, and the rest are from all over the country. And, in fact, uh, a couple of other countries we invite uh, clay <laughs> artists from. I had a woman wow. from Scotland last year. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're bringing in not only artists from around the country, but we're also bringing in their collectors. Right, uh, so that's the part them. about bringing in these other people. Then they have collectors who might be interested in 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 the other people's work. In addition, I mean, that's always said, which is great about art fairs. When people will complain, there's there are too many all these wearables peoples in the show, and I will say, you know, if there weren't jewelers and wearable people in the shows, no one would be there. And if she's <laughs> buying her earrings, she might see me next door and buy from me. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Is it true? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think so, so. Um, so so when did you expand beyond the people who lived um in your area? I think I think we started inviting guests about the third year, maybe the fourth. I don't remember exactly, but um this is our twenty second year and so we started pretty early on and And why uh, did you do that? Well, we thought it would be more interesting, you know. And I don't think it was uh, really any kind of a scheme to make more sales. We just thought it would be more interesting. You know, and, the, and the, the kind of the traditional fear is, you know, it's a zero sum. You know, if you have more people, it, it just divides the sales up between you. But yes. we just found that to be completely the opposite. I totally agree. because it's Completely the opposite. And you bring in more customers. Yeah. And more collectors. And, and, you expose people to other forms of ceramic art, and they get excited. They start collecting other people's work, and you know. And, and the thing that's been interesting is that the more people we've added, it hasn't cut into sales at all. It's just only added, and not only just added, but it's increased the the total percentage uh, average uh, sale per person is is going. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So that 
And I'm not sure I, this is Jermaine, mm-hmm. uh, but how do you all divide up the costs? And it may we be divide them equally among the 50 people. Uh-huh, great. That makes we, it work out really well. It does. It, it um, you know, maybe there's a business model that, you know, where you would charge the guests uh, some commission, but we, we chose to just do it as we're all equal in the tour. And so but the only inequality we have is that it we have tour expenses, the you know, umbrella tour expenses, and then we also have expenses at each studio. And those are divided up however the the host the host artist chooses to divide them up. Mhm. So you think there's like there's like a, a fees that um to cover advertising and Right. Whatever, oh, that sort of stuff. Then, then let's say you're hosting uh, several people at your place, and you decided to do something, certain kinds of food, and just those people would share in the price cost of that. Yes, and we rent. Yes. we rent big tents, and we have porta toilets, and oh, I right. hire labor to set up and tear down. And we that's <laughs> wonderful. Literally, <laughs> we have we have so much traffic uh-huh. that I hired my neighbor. And she hired someone else to be my traffic police. Mm-hmm. Good and, idea. And they park cars and tell people where to park. And they <laughs> and I I even went out and bought two golf carts because we need to shuttle people. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> From the parking lot to the to the sale t- tent. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I have a long driveway out in the country, and and literally at ten o'clock in the morning, you can't find a place to park. And so we had to do something. And so I've, I've even talked to a local church, which is a quarter mile away. They're going to have a fundraiser next spring doing ballet parking for me. I love it. <laughs> That's great. So you're bringing the economy to the whole neighborhood. Terrific. Well, that and of yeah, that that then that's that's where we're going to go there from next. But okay, so um, oh gosh, I, there's just so many good questions here. So you do um, this studio. The big studio tour is in June. It's Mother. It's Mother's Day weekend. Mother's Day weekend. Every year. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you said you have your own small studio tour soon, right? Yes, it's it's next weekend. Not no, it's, it's a week, week from this weekend. Okay. And that's uh, and myself and three three guests. And three guests. Oh, so are these the one are these people October? you would have on the right? So that's October. October show is just you. Well, it's, and yeah, it's guests. just me. But there are there are three other shows, uh, people that are on our tour that also have a sale that weekend. But we choose in the fall to not do it as a group. We do it mm-hmm. just as individual studios. We don't we want do to wear it out. We do marketing, but it's not right. formal, and we don't. We haven't given it a name or anything, so. So the guests that you will be having in October, are they is they are they overlap from your uh, Mother's Day weekend tour? Uh, two are, and one is a young Potter who's uh, been helping at the spring tour, and uh, as uh, you know, just in the wrapping and packing, and uh, so I invited him this year to come, and um, uh, so it's essentially yes. Okay, so it's it sounds. Um, do you think there's specific um, now, Jan? You know, your studio tour in Maryland is still going on. How many years later is this? Thirty years later, it is still yeah. going on. It is. It outreaches to uh, some large cities, which are Baltimore. Well, Baltimore and Washington, the whole Washington D.C. complex. Philadelphia is only three hours. Uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which um, you know hosts the Longs Park show, which mm-hmm. went on for many years, still does, I think, um, and it mm-hmm. educated a lot of the public about good crafts. Um, so we drew from quite a broad area, and okay. you know we weren't just clay; we were painting and mm-hmm. metalwork and a variety mm-hmm. okay. of things. All right, so that's a well-establishing. What? Um, so out here now on the peninsula, so you have, have this whole combination of things that you have going on. You also do do a artist studio tour. 
And how long have you been right. doing that? That's only four years old. Four That's years old. That's Thanksgiving weekend show. Mm-hmm. And we do it Friday and Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. Do you, in addition to having the tour, and you, I'm asking Bob this question too, but Jan first. Do you? Are there workshops going on at the same time? Other things for people to do besides file in and out of the studios? Not really. Um, uh-huh. I don't really even have enough. Um, backup manpower to do demos, which I would like mm-hmm. to do. I thought mm-hmm. possibly could do that this year. I'm going to change mm-hmm. it a little bit. From last year, I had two other potters, but they've had various con- conflicts this year, so I'll be doing it by myself. Mm-hmm. And Bob, do you have demos or workshops in the midst of your studio tours? No, we we do studio tours. You know, we mm-hmm. take people on, you know, through the studio anytime mm-hmm. they want to, you know, right. uh, take yeah. a break and do that. But, but I think that we, you know, we just are so busy, and we were so, uh, you're kind of exhausted setting this whole thing up. Adding that one more thing was just more than uh-huh. I wanted to do in other. And it doesn't sound help. like you need to. No, I think it would be handsome. You know, I mean, I think that would really be educational, and it'd be it'd be fun. And you know, uh, but but you know, you'd have to set up another tent, and you you know, you'd have to you know run the wiring and you know bring up the potter's wheels. It's just it's just uh, a task. A lot not. more. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So that's we're why we're just. Our, mm-hmm. That's why Go our on. summer thing we do with a lot of hands-on has been so important. We have an amazing building with two great big gallery rooms and then we have a workshop room and a fenced yard outside that we can do raku and alternative firings in. So this so is when you about place. So when you host your clay show at the Art Association building, then you have things going on. Is the that clay show right? itself, yeah, mm-hmm. which is the actually show. we it's a building we rent, and um, mm-hmm. it's different than the Art Association. But yep, we have constant. Here. Big pardon? Excuse me, I interrupted. No, go, go ahead. Go on, Bob. I said, you know, the thing here is uh, we have um, a, a big facility called Northern Clay Center, which is a teaching facility. The University of Minnesota. Uh, all the colleges here have ceramics programs, and oh. also there's a three or four other uh, facilities that have sprung up in Minneapolis and St. Paul that are, that are dedicated to studio rentals and teaching classes. So I think that having, you know, that we just don't need to do that here. Yeah, you know, you're right. For the you tour. But it's a it, it's a great idea for education. I mean, it's uh, it would be huge. If I, right for education, if we weren't but, close to Minneapolis. If we weren't right. close to Minneapolis. I would do. I would do what Jan's doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, basically, what I'm talking here about is not necessarily entertaining and educating people. I'm really interested in ways artists can earn money, and that's that's the gist of this conversation. That I really, mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy to entertain at any any other time. But these are business ventures that you two are putting together of, of various kinds, and. Artists just need to know that this is doable. I mean, Jan is doing this startup in this place where a lot of retirees and a small population, and yet you are drawing from the cities, correct? Correct. I spoke with a woman this morning who is from Nevada, but they're here in the summer. And she took – see, we we charge for our workshops – People mm-hmm. take a class. Like I taught a workshop this summer in making little shrines. And it was mm-hmm. a three-and-a-half-hour class. It was $55, and um, two weeks later they had a finished product, which and I didn't only had to ship one of them. Um, so we all earn money from teaching the classes, and the people mm-hmm. get a viable product from them. So okay. that's a good thing, too. Okay, so um, let's let's talk about what's going to happen next year. Jan, do you have uh, plans for the growth of any of these ventures? 
Um, not, or extend well, changes? Well, for the clay mm-hmm. show, we're just we're about ready to have a meeting and decide what we're going to do for next year. So we'll just keep growing and mm-hmm. um, have a new slate of interesting workshops. Okay. Oh, right, and the workshops. And, and Bob, it sounds like yours is so well planned. You, well, you, we I think it is, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's there's lots of holes that get you know patched during the during the spring when we're getting ready for it. But the the thing that um, I I'm a big believer in is spending money on promotion, and I think that we are uh, we we woefully underfund our our marketing efforts and I think I think we could take something that's already seemingly huge and turn it you know grow it by 25% if we if we put the right uh dedicated the right amount of money towards it I, but but we're almost seriously almost at capacity I mean it's it's a worry of mine that's why I've been contacting the church and I've been getting the other people on the tour to think about where they're going to park all these cars cuz it it's really a problem, and I mean, it could become, you know, the, it could become the thing <laughs> like could. a big art fair where people just aren't willing to walk ten blocks right. know, from the parking lot. So, right. But another little yeah. side thing I wanted to tell you about was uh, at about the fourteenth year, I started pushing our group to open up on Friday. We were open only Saturday and Sunday. And nobody wanted to do that, and so we worked for. Well, this may be at the tenth year, and and uh, it took us ten years that uh, Will Swanson and I to convince the group to open on Friday, because the, here in Minneapolis, people on Friday they leave Minneapolis to go to their lake homes and their cottages and whatever, and they're gone for the weekend. So we miss mm-hmm. those people. So I I really felt like we needed to open on Friday. Well, we finally all agreed to do it. <laughs> we opened on Friday. And the the show went up forty percent in that one year. Oh my word! I mean, it's just like it's crazy, like to, to have that kind of growth in one year just from that, just being open on the right time. So I guess I would say to people, if you do one of these things, really pay attention to your the culture of where you live and mm-hmm. the weekend that you choose to do it. Maybe you know, maybe Friday and Saturday is better than Saturday Sunday, or maybe you need to do three days, or maybe you need to do two weekends, or you know, it really you need to pay attention. Rather than making it easy on us, make it easy yeah. on the on the audience. Right. Huh. Would be my recommendation. Okay. So user friendly. As much as possible. So when you Without sat down and right, <laughs> <laughs> well, we know about those. Yes. So when you, yeah. if you recall. Uh, your first year, Bob, and what you thought about at the end when your group got together after the first one. What was what? Do you remember what what people were thinking? Yeah, there was a bit of there was some ho hum, like yeah, okay, that that worked. We made some money, we sold some work, but you know, it really wasn't much different than if I'd have had my own sale here. So you know, why are we doing this? And and so my retort was. You know, look, if if we're all honest with ourselves, there's maybe only 5,000 people in the Minneapolis area that are even interested in clay. Yes. And let's make that 50,000, you know, by putting this group event on, you know. And so we were able to hold the group together for about three years, you know, and with, it was kind of shaky, you know, like people, I don't really, you know, it's not that great or I don't know why we're doing it. You know, it's kind of a nuisance you know, people in your backyard, uh, you know, I'd rather do something else that weekend. And, you know, there were all those fires you have to put out. And, and eventually, you know, we got to about the fourth year, and it was clearly going to work. Mm-hmm. And it, it, at about the sixth year, we never had that argument anymore. It was just on, it was off to the races at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but it was, it was, you know, the whatever, the herding cats phenomenon. In right. the first two or three years, you know. So, right. Okay. And then, it, and then it, uh, and then it's, it, it worked. I think we had enough momentum at that point that it just kept going. 
Well, I want to tell yeah, you, I was supposed to t- stop halfway through and say we're halfway through and do a station break, and guess what? <laughs> we're nearing the end of our time. But anyone who's listening, I want to stop for a second and say, this is Connie Mettler, HeartFearInsiders.com. I am speaking with Robert Briscoe and Jan Richardson, and we're talking about art studio tours and other ways that artists can make money besides being at the art fairs. Bob runs the St. Croix Valley Pottery Studio Tour outside of Minneapolis on Mother's Day weekend. And Jan is involved in several um, outreach activities on the peninsula in Washington State, including the Peninsula, oh, tell me again, Jan, Peninsula Artist. Peninsula Clay Artist. Peninsula Clay Artist Show and a Peninsula Art Art Studio Tour. Tour. Yes. Yes, yes, okay. So that's our commercial. That's not much of a commercial, but okay, so here's the other thing. So let's, so you have to, Jan, have you had trouble getting other people involved in wanting to participate in these activities with you? Not really. They realized, this, for instance, the studio tour, this will be the fourth or fifth year of that, and people realized that it actually was viable. We have 18 stops, which is kind of a lot. But, oh. So a lot of people come. It's a funny weekend because people come out with their families from all over the West Coast, and they're, you know, what are we going to do? They mm-hmm. don't necessarily want to go to Black Friday. There's not really big stores around here for three hours drive. Um, oh, right. This is on Thanksgiving weekend. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So they come here, and they, it's a family entertainment thing. And, Why did and you choose local- that date? It is a very unusual date. Um, because there were more people here. Uh-huh. Right. For right. So that's bit. another one of the things that you take into account. When are the people exactly. here? What else is going on? Or as I'm thinking about Bob on Mother's Day weekend, I'm thinking pretty chilly in Minnesota. Well, they're not going to the lake, are they, Bob? Well, no. Or they are. <laughs> occasionally it's the first really nice weekend of the year, which is all negative. You know, you, uh-huh. what you want to have is about three really beautiful weekends ahead of it, <laughs> right. so that people have gone to the garden center and gone, opened up their lake home and, and got the boat out, and uh, and so we're not the first time they can celebrate warm weather. You know, after our winter, so so mm-hmm. for us, we've had everything. We've had uh, we've had mud in our yard. Uh, we've had snow. Oh. Last year uh-huh. on Saturday, it was. 40 mile an hour winds and about 35 degrees, and uh, and you know what? And they they still come. Okay. They wear rain. They wear rain gear and boots if it's raining, and they they. That's right. You know, it's important. It only happens once a year. Special. Okay, so um, so there's several things you've got to find the right people. People, like-minded people, and then you have to find the right date. You have to find the money. Oh, there's so many things. Okay, what have you seen any economic benefits for your region, Bob, out of this? Well, I know um, just a lot of other artists now put out signs along the various routes saying they're having a sale that weekend. I think that's really cool. Um a winery uh, opened up up the road, and they they asked if they could put a a sign for wine tasting as people are leaving. There's a sign that they only see when they're leaving the sale, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they get they just get a tremendous amount of business from from our weekend. And then there's a glass artist that opened up down the road, and she's you know has a great show over the weekend. So, um, oh, and yeah, there's been a lot of the and beyond even beyond the artists. People coming into town, right? We're talking tourism here. We're talking about hotel rooms and restaurants. Yeah, we feel all all the hotels uh, in the area are almost completely full of our people. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great bet. all the little restaurants probably derive a lot of business, too. Yeah, we, right. I wish we had more restaurants because they would do a lot better. But we don't – we're kind of in a funny place where – up until the last couple of years, there really has been almost nothing for people to eat other than hamburgers and french fries, and that's changing a little bit, you know, but I wish it were more, for my benefit, okay. too. <laughs> okay, of course. Food trucks. 
There you go. Yeah, we're uh-huh. thinking about that for next spring. We've been feeding people here ourselves, and it and it's gotten out of control. We can't handle it anymore. It's just too much. So we're going to shut the food down and and go to some other way of of giving people uh, a thank you for being here. Uh, it'll there'll be some food of some kind, but it, it that was brilliant thing that my wife put on. I mean, she puts on this fabulous kitchen. We had 17 people helping prepare, oh prepare food, and and it's just now. It's just crazy. We can't do it anymore. So um, I, I went through eight kegs of beer last year. Uh, we have, <laughs> is, this, we have a huge... is this gratis? Is the food, all this food, is that for sale? No, it's all been gratis. And wow. So, But it's been worth it. And But uh-huh. we just can't handle it anymore. The the beer will is easy to handle. But uh, <laughs> so we have a big bonfire that goes all weekend long and... Um, you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I mean, people have a good memory when they leave here. Yeah, absolutely. It's more than just it's buying pots. Party. Yeah, it's a lot more than it buying is, pots. It is more than buying pots, but it, but I, I actually think what, what's happened here with the scale of this thing is that people are standing next to each other. There's somebody from Minnesota talking to somebody from Ohio, and they're both collecting pots, and they they get kind of dumbfounded by it. Really, you came all the way from Ohio and or California or wherever, and uh, I so I think there's this kind of a camaraderie that develops mm-hmm. uh, among clay lovers that is pretty cool. This is all very. I'm now. I'm just. We're just getting. Uh, I'm getting very inspired here now by both of your stories. And and guess what? We're um, we're almost out of time here. Um, so I guess let's see. Each of let uh, tell me something that you need to know to start a studio tour for other. What what is a Jan? I would like a suggestion from you if someone was going to start a studio tour. What's something that is important for them to do? Well, they need to gather together some passionate, like-minded people and make a plan, get the mailing list going, and uh, and keep talking it up. Uh, it does take a lot of hard work. It's okay. Bob, how about a tip from you? Well, I think that I think Jan's uh, talk about the mailing list, I think that is essential that people – uh, gather mailing lists together from all the people that they're choosing to have share it with them. But I think people, I think, are making a huge mistake if they don't use physical mailing addresses. If they use email only, I think they're going to I starve agree. to death. I, I think agree. they're going to starve to death until that part of our culture changes. People still mm-hmm. respond to a piece of paper. And that's why you're spending all that money on posters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's worth it. But the thing that I, I would ins- really uh, tell people is keep it keep it intimate. Don't make it so big. Don't try to save money by having a lot of stops on a tour. Have fewer mm-hmm. stops, and then and, and then as you get successful, expand internally. Add guests and. Um, and the other thing, I don't want to sound like conservative here, but try not to take public money. Get do this internally. Use your own, you know, self fund this as much as possible. Because what happens, I think, is people go out and they get a five thousand dollar grant from the local art center, and that becomes their budget. And that's not enough. You really need about triple or yeah, quadruple would be brilliant. Well, I I can tell I did not handle my time well. We are down to the last 60 seconds here, and I'm feeling like we're just getting But those are all great tips. I want to thank both Jan and Bob. Anybody has any questions, please go to com and put your answers down. Thank you, both of you. I'm all finished with you. Everybody who's listening, you can download this free podcast at iTunes in the podcast section and subscribe to it there also. We have more interesting shows in the works with some of the nation's top show directors and artists. And on our next podcast, we'll be talking about the results of our first national survey looking to find out what the public thinks are America's best art fairs. 
The deadline is September 30th. If you haven't taken the survey yet, head to artfaircalendar.com, and you'll see the link there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Jan. Until Thank the you. next time. Thanks. Really fun. Thank you. Visit yeah, artfairinsiders.com. Tell your friends about us. Like us on Facebook. Go out, create, and make money, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Connie. Bye. It's great. Thanks, Connie. See you, Jan. See ya.